0: Amen. Well, last week I had you do something when we said the word revival. I'm not going to have you do it this time. So uh, you just think it in your own heart. Now, unless you really want to say hallelujah every time I say revival, that's fine. Because revival is a great thing. But remember last Sunday we identified that revival is a spiritual awakening. Man, who doesn't think that is the coolest thing in the world and want that? a spiritual awakening where you're you were dead or you were dying or you were out of you know you were unconscious spiritually and now you become conscious spiritually and alive and so we do have that definition up on the board and you're welcome to take a shot of it or write it down but it's a spiritual awakening in the lives of a christian it's a renewed passion for god it's a a renewed devotion to him that in turn results in repentance. It it results in change. Change in a believer's life, in the power of their witness, and in the response of other people to their witness. That's what happens in revival. Man, revival is pretty cool, and we talked about the fact that revival happens at three different levels. One, it happens on a personal level, and we call it a personal quickening. That's where God meets you. You all of a sudden experience him in a renewed way, and you have a new focus on Jesus, a new focus on his word, a new focus on living holy to him. It's a cool thing, but it's coming from God. It's that spiritual awakening that he brings to you on a personal level. And then there's local church revival, where all of a sudden those things begin to happen church-wide. Because as fire takes off, it lights other fires, and then it jumps to other churches, possibly, in other areas of the community. But then we also talked about another type of revival, and that's a social awakening. And we've experienced a number of those throughout the history of man, where all of a sudden something happens community-wide, or nationwide, or worldwide, right? So many of those kinds of things. The Jesus People Movement, the Charismatic Renewal, Azusa Street Revival, it just goes on and on the enlightenment and awakening that happened over in europe and the welsh revival and we could go on and on and it's neat when these things happen because then new enthusiasm is definitely there new power is definitely in the church millions of people are saved and things are changed on our planet revival is a positive thing isn't it if when i said that you think of martha stewart right Revival it's a good thing Right it is (coughs) Revival is a positive thing Revival is a good thing It's a wonderful thing so here. I'm here to ask you then why do people or individuals reject it? Why do they reject it if it's such a wonderful thing a positive thing a good thing Why do some people want to squash revival? Why do they want to quench it? Why do they want to dismiss it as not being a big deal? Or or not even being real. They want to dismiss it like it's not real. Why would some people be so willing to reject it before they're really ready to check it out? Get the evidence. Consider what's happening. Consider the truth of it. Consider whether they should receive it or not why are we so skeptical about revival think about that why why do we come and think uh, revival is a great notion but it's just not for me it's not gonna happen in my life it's not gonna happen in our group Um, it's not really real God moves doesn't he somebody say amen to that God is moving It's in him we live and move and have our being. The Bible tells us that. Paul told us that. So what's the problem? What's the problem? Why do we reject revival? Well, Matthew Burkholder, or Backholder, he observed this about revivals. Revivals are always controversial events. There's a reason why people reject it. Revivals have always been throughout history a controversial event. And some of us, we just don't like controversy, do we? Some of us don't like disruption. You like and I like my own little life just around me so I can control it all and be comfortable and have it exactly the way I want it. I love those new vehicles where you can set the air conditioner to the degree you want it to be, which is probably 20 degrees colder than what my wife Just sitting over here next wants it to be. But we can control it. It is nice. I love the fact of not having that disturbance. But a revival is a disturbance. It is a controversy. And I'm telling you something. When God moves and God does something great in in the group of people's lives, the devil never, he never sets back quietly and passively takes the plundering of his kingdom. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. No. No. In fact, he pushes back, he hits back. You know what? So he's got to know this about revival. You've got to tell yourself this. Revival is disturbing. Revival is controversial. Revival is full of power and change. And we want to know that so that we don't reject the next move of the Holy Spirit (coughs) in our life the next move of the Holy Spirit in our church, the next move of the Holy Spirit in our world. And we don't want to do that over the same old controversies that have followed the work of God throughout history. There's always been controversy. Throughout history, people have rejected revival for many of the same common reasons. As, as we're rejecting them today. The same common reasons that we're rejecting, they did it in the Bible and in our passage today. You know that we talked about last week, right? We looked in Acts chapter 19. <coughs> Paul was doing extraordinary, and when the Bible calls it extraordinary miracles, you know that it was. He was doing extraordinary miracles of healing and delivering people from demo- demonic and devil Devils that were within them or in their lives. And it said it was even so kind of extraordinary and different that even sweat rags that he would wear in work and aprons would be taken to people. If they touched them, they were healed. If they touched them, they were delivered. That was kind of extraordinary. We don't see those kinds of things today, even though we try to mimic it. They weren't mimicking anything back then. They were following the Lord's leadership and guidance. Right? Because they weren't just pragmatists. They were people who followed the promises of God and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And so they were doing a great work. Well, it still wasn't having an impact in the city of Ephesus. Paul was teaching, great teaching, still not making a big impact because Ephesus was a stronghold, a stronghold of idolatry, a stronghold of worshiping everything but the true God, Right. And so there wasn't much of an impact until one day where some guys decided, hey, this Paul, he has a lot of power in the name of Jesus. He's I mean, he's commanding in the name of Jesus and demons are coming out of people just like that. And he's doing it like it's no big what? He's commanding disease in the name of Jesus and people are being healed. Well, we want to make a little bit off this religious religion type stuff. And they were probably people who made their living through religious-type means. So they go, let's just use the name of Jesus. Don't we all believe that we just use the name of a greater demon or a greater person, and when you evoke that name, it has power over these lesser demons and lesser entities that are within people, and we can cast them out. We can use Jesus' name like an incantation. Just say it. And so these seven brothers, they were out there, and they were... They were sporting their business and they decide they're going to cast out this demon from this one guy. And so they command and they say, we command in the name of Jesus, Jesus that Paul preaches. Don't you love that? I love that. <laughs> to come out of him. Well, guess what? The demon talked back. Hey, all right. You're commanding me by the name of, the, of Jesus who Paul preaches. Look at, I know Jesus. And they're like, hmm. He goes, hold it, and I know who Paul is, but who are you? Who are you? And then that demon commenced to beating the snuff out of those guys, bloodying them, and then humiliating them by stripping them behind naked and sending them out the door, <coughs> which is the way the devil fights, because he's a dirty dog, and he doesn't just kick your rear, he takes your clothes. And we, we, we recognized last week that you know, right, if you come away from a fight and you're naked, you lost the fight. Amen? You're probably the one who lost the fight. And so they definitely lost the fight. But news of what happened and how this demon responded, it went with throughout this community. And we always think, well, these towns were so little, no. This was a community of at least 250,000. It was fairly large. <coughs> it was known. News spread and it spread by well, like wildfire. People were coming to Jesus like wildfire in the area, but it just wasn't having, just, there just a breakout hadn't occurred yet. But what happened after they heard about what this demon had to say about Jesus and what happened to these seven men, all of a sudden people showed up publicly in the, in the square. They brought all their books, their spells, their books of spells, their books of incantations, all the witchcraft (coughs) books that they had in their library. They brought them out to the center of the town, and they burned them. There were so many books that the Bible tells us it was at least five to ten million dollars were burned that day. People didn't give up stuff like that. They would have put it on eBay just like we would do trying to make some money off of it, rather than just tossing it and, and ruining it and burning it. They could have made big bucks, but they said no. We are fi-. And these are believers. These were people that were believers in Jesus. But they finally realized something. <coughs> Hold it a second. We can't use Jesus' name as an incantation. In fact, Jesus is the one who uses us. We're not Lord over him, he's Lord over us. And we repent of the fact that we were holding on to these old ways just in case Jesus didn't work. And we're done with that because Jesus is Lord of all. Hallelujah. And the Bible ends in that passage that the word of God grew and spread both in in knowledge and in power throughout that region. (coughs) Excuse me. Revival came. Revival came. Because one big mouth demon let everybody know who is really Lord of the universe. And they realized it for the first time. He's really Jesus, Is really Lord. And so revival came Man, Revival is positive. Revival is a good thing. It's a great thing. We want God's movement. We need God's movement in our lives. And so that kind of sets us up for today. But with all great movements, there's going to be pushback. In all great movements, there's going to be people who reject it. And so today I want to turn, we're going to begin to read our passage, and we're going to read it one step at a time. And I'm going to ask my wife to bring my coffee up. Thanks, dear. (coughs) I'm still dealing with this holding on cough. I'm not sick, but why don't you give her a hand for bringing it to me? Oh, yeah. All right. Thank you, dear. We want to begin to read this passage and find out why they rejected revival and see what it has to say to us. We want to make sure that we learn something and we don't go down the same path. So Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 23, we'll read through 27. (coughs) About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A great disturbance. Do you get it? About the way, you know, I always wonder: Do I cause a disturbance in my life and in, in my family? Do I cause disturbance in the church? Do I cause a disturbance in my community? Hmm. I hope so. I sometimes don't want to, but I hope I do because that's evidence that revival is on its way or revival has come. And it says that there arose this great disturbance about the way. About the, the that's what Christianity was called then, the way, because there was a way people lived, the way they believed, the way they functioned, and it said this: a silver smith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis or Diana. Oh, thank you, dear, thank you, Brock. Give Brock a hand. All right, I called him dear. <laughs> You know, big guys are always kind of gregarious, right? We love each other. So so a silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, which is Diana, you could just kind of substitute for that, he brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, all these craftsmen, along with the workers in related trades, and he said, hey, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. Hey, there were other places where the governors were coming and saying, hey, people aren't going to the shrines anymore. They're not spending money in these areas of idol worship anymore. What do I do? That's kinda kept the status quo going, but they're not doing it anymore. Wouldn't you love it if our faith affected our economy and and got rid of certain things that that we spend a lot of money on in our economy in this day and age? That'd be great, wouldn't it? But it did back then, because it was for real, and people's lives were changed. And so he's alerting them to that. And he says, (coughs) you know we get this good business, And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray a large number of people here in Ephesus even, and in practically the whole province of Asia. Good grief. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself who is worshiped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. (coughs) He's rejecting revival. How many people here like change? Raise your hand. How many of you say, man, I am a person that really likes change? There aren't very many, and I see people doing this, which is what what we, we mean, right? how you see some of us like change but then the question is the people who raise their hands how many of you still like change when you when when your comfort and your security is threatened and your present circumstances and conditions are threatened would you still say i really like change when that happens see We don't always, do we? We like change when we can control it. We like change when it promises something better. We like change when we feel like it's, it, we're experiencing progress or are moving in a direction we wanted to move. But if not, if this change is outside of our control, if this change messes with my comfortability and comfort zone, if this change messes with my security, man, I'm not so sure I like it. Does anybody here like it when, the, when, when life is rocking your boat? Come on. When life is rocking your boat, when, when you've become comfortable and secure in your life, you've got it the way you want it, and now somebody or something is rocking it. No, we don't like it. We don't like it. However, if you've been lulled to sleep in a boat or lulled to sleep in life, and you're heading in the wrong direction, or you're heading, getting ready to go off a treacherous cliff to certain destruction. You want somebody to rock your boat. You want somebody to wake you up. You want somebody to say, hey, you're getting ready to go off a cliff, don't you? Yeah, you want it now, and you like change. If you and I want to experience revival, guess what? We have to become open to change. That means that most of us who didn't raise our hands, we've got to be more open to change. If we want revival, we've gotta be even open to disruption. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable change. I'm sorry, because comfortability can kill you, can't it? It really can. Demetrius and his craftsman buddies in our passage, they were comfortable and secure in their careers and their lives and their spiritual beliefs the things they built their lives around, they were comfortable. Look at, they really were. And now all of a sudden, guess what? Somebody is coming and threatening all that. You might have found yourself at the same meeting with them, (coughs) wondering, what should I do? Because something is trying to turn my world upside down. See, these, these guys who gathered, they had what we might call a fixed mindset over a growth mindset. I've mentioned this a little bit before, and I want to mention it again, but I mentioned it in a little more detail today. They had a fixed mindset. They had a fixed mindset about life. Maybe you have a fixed mindset about life. These are the characteristics that really uh, surround a fixed mindset. Evaluate whether you have it. If you have a fixed mindset, you believe that intelligence and talent are stagnant. They can't grow, they can't be developed. You believe they're stagnant. You avoid challenge to avoid failure. So you're a person that will tend to want to avoid challenge because you see it as a road to failure. If you have a fixed mindset, you ignore feedback from others. I don't really need much feedback from other people. I can keep my own counsel. I can only listen to my select few people and that's about it because (coughs) I don't need it. Number four, you feel threatened by the success of others. (coughs) If we admit that, there are some of us that live like that. We're always fearing that we're behind, and we're not as successful as others. Number five, (coughs) I guess I'm going to need a little more water. You hide your flaws. Flaws so that you're not judged by other people. You hide, and you work at hiding and cloaking your flaws. Man. It's a terrible place to be in you believe putting in self-effort or putting in effort is really kind of worthless it doesn't really pay off you view feedback as personal criticism and finally you give up easily if it takes much work if it takes much faith if I've got to step out well forget it I'm comfortable I'm staying where I'm at you have a fixed mindset these guys had a fixed mindset this is our industry This is our job. It's being threatened. We're not going to consider that our theology needs to change. We're not going to consider that our work needs to change. We're not going to consider that anything needs to change. We're just going to say, quit rocking our boat. Amen? So the question is, do you have a fixed mindset? Well, there's a different mindset that we want to have, and that's a growth mindset. Consider, do you really have it? Because I think a little of us have a little of both, don't we? A growth mindset embraces lifelong learning. Are you a life learner? Do you still realize there are things to learn in life? Two, you believe intelligence can be improved. Yeah, people really can learn. Three, you put in more effort to learn because you believe that. Four, you believe effort leads to mastery. You have a belief that you can actually master some things, you know? It's, it's a cool thing if you have a growth mindset. It's funny, Grant started playing drums, right? And he's taking drum lessons. And all the other drummers that he sits around him, you know, just came from kindergarten at first grade. And Grant walks in and goes, hey, good job, you know? It's kind of like he's having karate with all these little kids and here he is. But he laughs about that. But he has a growth mindset and says, you know what? I can still learn something at this age. I can still do some things and catch up and enjoy it. That's a growth mindset. Um, <coughs> you believe that failures are only temporary setbacks. You believe failure is not final. I love that, because I do believe that. Failure is never final. You can always, at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Um, you view feedback as a source of information. You willingly embrace challenges rather than try to avoid all of them. You may not take all of them, but you willingly embrace them. You view others' success as a source of inspiration. It encourages you, inspires you, rather than causing you to feel bad about yourself or to hide. And then you view feedback as an opportunity to learn. I, I can learn more this way. I can see things from a different point of view. Let me tell you something. Human beings were not created by our creator to avoid change. We really were not even disruptive change or the pain of growth. Hello, don't we call it when we're growing and developing as youngsters, growth pains? How many of you felt growing pains growing up? Man, I did, yeah, we all did. (coughs) That was a good thing. It meant you were growing, you were developing, you were healthy. You don't want to stay the same. So see, we, we had to have disruptive change. Man. We still need to develop that, that attitude as we move through every stage of the developing season of our lives, even. To be a believer <coughs> who embraces and experiences normal and necessary ongoing revival, you have to be a believer with a growth mindset. I can grow today. I can go further today. I can be more today. I can make a difference today. You've got to believe that. Because you have a God who's a giver, a God who's generous, a God whose mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He wants you to be fruitful and bear fruit more abundantly. God desires that. And he wants us to keep going with that. Doesn't mean you're going to be like the person next to you. But it does mean that you can keep growing. Otherwise, you have this fixed mindset, and this fixed mindset will always naturally reject revival, and it will see any threat to comfort and security as a bad thing. Yet, if your beliefs about God, or if your core values for life are wrong, wouldn't it be nice to discover that sooner than later? If they're not right, then find out they're not right, so that you can change. Think about this where am I resisting change good change simply because it makes me uncomfortable and insecure ask yourself that right now and jot it in your notes this is where I'm resisting change good change simply because it's uncomfortable and it makes me feel insecure number two where am I blaming and writing off others because they're holding my feet to the fire of change And I'm just blowing them off because I'm resisting change. How have I been rejecting God's attempt to revive me? To bring new life and change into my life simply because I will not allow my mindset to change. I have this fixed mindset about him, about life, about the church, about my mission. And I'm done. I've shut down. Let me tell you something. Just saw this last week. A little two-year-old girl fell into a a pool. She got revived, and they have it on tape. (coughs) First, her parents tried to help her. Police officers came and tried to help her. And they are banging on her. And they're saying, honey, wake up. Honey, come back. Honey. And then the paramedics were there. They got her back. She was all but gone. She was all but gone, but there was still the possibility of life there. And they revived her, and she back, breathing, talking, sitting up, eating, fine. She was revived. But had somebody not brought uncomfortable change into her life, she would have been dead. And that's how we have to see it in life. We remember revival is a spiritual awakening. You and I get awakened when we come to the Lord. He puts his spirit within us. He makes us a new creation. We become brand new. We have fellowship now with him. But we have to keep fellowshipping with him. Life has a way of grabbing our attention and our energy. And if we aren't careful, we don't spend time in fellowship with him. We don't spend time being renewed by him and by his spirit. We're to do that daily, but we simply don't. It's not because we're bad people. We're just... People and we're learning to walk with God and it's hard sometimes and so we sometimes don't and then we begin to wane and as life goes on what happens is your tank gets emptier and emptier and then you begin to pick up on some things you get some sins and some different things they wrap around you and you get caught up in them and now you need revival big time because fellowship with the Lord is not fresh and new and real and you're burdened and weighed down by sin and by worry and by pain and by hurt. You need change. You need to be revived. But part of that is because we have to learn to walk in revival daily. We've got to learn to walk in fellowship with the Lord and in his filling life to keep our tank full daily. But we're just not there yet. I want to encourage you wherever you're at in that, to get with the Lord and allow him to revive you. Allow him to do whatever he's got to do that's uncomfortable and disruptive in your life. Allow that to happen so that you can be brought back to life. Because you need revival to live. You need revival to walk in his power and his grace. Amen. Charles Finney once said this, (coughs) Revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. And if you know that you need a new beginning of obedience to Him, seek Him for that revival. Walk in it, and it'll come. It'll come, and your fellowship will be restored. Let's continue. Let's look at another reason people reject revival, starting in verse 28. When they heard this, this whole crowd that had gathered about the fact that they're, they're idle and. and, and uh, the shrine to Diana was being besmirched and, and, and um, she's about ready to be robbed of her divine majesty. They were furious and they began shouting, "Great is Artemis or great is Diana of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. You know how mobs can spread right and, and the energy of a riot can spread. The people seized Gaius and and Articus, don't name your child that, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater, which was the central place where they debated things, but also where they had fights, and where they killed each other, and killed animals, and all sorts of things like that. So it was a a very, um, you know, very dicey place to be. And they all grabbed, they all came together. And it just says, Paul wanted to appear before the crowd but the disciples wouldn't let him. Even some of the officials of the providence, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. That would have been probably, they were in a frenzy. That would have been certain death because they weren't uh, in their right mind. It says the assembly was in confusion, and that was just a, a, a very light way to say it. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. Sound familiar? The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison because they were Macedonians, and they felt like their goddess was being besmirched, and so they don't want a Jew up there. Come on. <coughs> and so they all shouted in unison for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians over and over again for two hours. It's worse than Florida states. Uh, 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 uh. <coughs> if I ever hear that again, it'll be too soon, but I just did it. It was worse than that. over and over again, they shouted. Wow, So we see <coughs> that other people, others reject revival, for a simple reason. They choose offense over the truth. They get offended. Their civic uh, dignity gets offended, their their theological beliefs get offended, they get offended, and they embrace that over truth. Offense, or getting people to be offended, some people have read, read the book by John Vavere called The Bait of Satan, offense truly is the bait of satan (coughs) it's it's one of his oldest tricks to get people distracted to destroy the unity in the church to keep people from trusting god get people offended get them offended so that they don't obey the lord so that they don't seek revival get them offended people can become apprehensive about revival People can get offended by revival in a number of ways, and I want to mention just a few. For instance, the fear of God moving supernaturally. How many of you have ever been afraid of God and his movements in a service? Some of you might have. I've heard people say that, and I remember when I came into the church, I'm wired differently, (coughs) and so I don't react the same as some people. But I remember hearing people go, oh, I heard them praying in tongues. I heard them jumping in worship. I heard them doing it. And I got scared. <clears throat> See, I would always go, scared of what? What are you scared of? I mean, they weren't holding snakes around, were they? They were venomous. No. But I was scared. I was scared. And I've heard a lot of people say that. Why don't you go to I'm afraid to go to church. You know, I don't, that's why I don't go to church. I know others that say, well, I don't want to go to church. I'm sure lightning would hit it if I went to church. So I'm afraid. Fear of God moving supernaturally. Wow. What about Jesus in the New Testament would make you afraid? <coughs> Wasn't he so accessible? Wasn't he so personable? Doesn't it say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is sensitive. He's a counselor. He's a teacher. He's a guide. That's what John 14, 15, and 16 tells us. The Holy Spirit is so gentle. The Bible says that Jesus wouldn't even break a reed. You know, he's so gentle, he's so willing to come on your terms. You need to be afraid of demons. Demons dominate. The devil dominates, then he humiliates and he uses you up and then kills you. I'm telling you, right? Have you experienced it? Yeah. And you think you're having such a great time until he leaves you high and dry and with the bill. That devil is a dirty dog and the whole thing is, is, is a mess. But, but Jesus and the Spirit are never like that. So we don't need to fear his supernatural movement. You don't ever have to fear that. Because he's your God, he's your creator, he's your father. Number two, a dislike of physical manifestations. <coughs> you know, I'm used to just kind of coming in, sitting, not saying much, not moving much, not doing anything. Anything that, that, that causes me to react or respond, I feel uncomfortable with. Well, a relationship has physical manifestations, doesn't it? Right? And so, but because we don't want to be physically engaged or emotionally engaged, we bail out. Two, Worry or fear of being deceived. I get that one. That one can make sense. We, we are offended by revival because we worry or fear that we're being deceived. That, that <coughs> It's just emotionalism. That this person really didn't get healed because we got somebody over here and he's actually got a little hearing thing in his ear like Peter Popoff did. And his wife was feeding him information. You know, that was the big scam back in the 80s that was going on, so we fear that this is all being manufactured and it's fraud. (coughs) That happens sometimes. But you can check it out. You don't have to stay in fear. And then finally, disapproval of the revivalist methods or their ministries. Right? Oh, you know Pastor Kelly. That guy can go on and on. And Man, he can really beat the drum sometimes. And because of it, I'm going to reject revival, and I feel like I'm okay to reject what God is saying through me. You can do that. We can all do that. It's happened since the beginning of time. You know, we've looked at the way certain people do things, and we go, nope, 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 not going to accept that. And they did it with Paul, too. Right? That can happen. Finally, we get angry that the peace or the status quo is being disrupted over this preaching against sin and the call to repentance and faith in Jesus. (coughs) How can you be so narrow about this? There's only one Lord, and he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. I'm sorry, he said it, not me. But we get angry about that. Because we like comfortability. We want the status quo. We don't want peace right now. Because we trust in us. And we're not looking for revival. But revival brings life, and it brings God into the quotient. Therefore, rather than working through and evaluating our apprehensions, what we end up doing, or or rather than asking thoughtful questions and investigating why an evangelist is teaching something, or why a church is doing something a certain way, or why God moves in a certain way, so that we can establish the real truth, rather than doing that, what we do is some come to church one time, get scared off, never to come back again. Don't do that. Don't do that. Or we just punt that truth. You know, it's too messy, too controversial. Uh, it's uh, it's harder. No, I'm just going to punt it. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'm going to get rid of it. And then I'm going to do that without ever really, without ever really searching for the truth because I just want to justify my offense. And, and so many times we get offended, and we just justify it, and we never do really resolve it, or work it through, or find the truth out. Um, that's just not, that's not a good way to live. It's not an honest way to live. We wouldn't logically ever say we want to do that, but we end up doing that again and again. And in our passage, we find that this crowd is furious, and they're chanting in protest, And they're doing all that before what? Before they ever ask a question. Let me tell you something. Don't ever go to a protest that you don't know what's going on. Don't do that. I don't want to do that. Let's not do that. Without without ever interviewing the appropriate parties, without ever taking any time to investigate, know why you're protesting if you're protesting. These people assumed a lot, didn't they? And they jumped to conclusions. In fact, what it says in verse 32 out of the momentum of the mob, it swept many people into this conflict, and it stated most of the people didn't even know why they were there. But they're screaming and they're yelling. Don't even know why they're there. Don't even know what it's about. Innuendo, misguided anger, have truths have kept countless people from revival. <coughs> Let me say it again. Innuendo, misguided truth, half truths have kept many, countless people away from revival, from moving on, from growing. The truth doesn't fear the light of honest scrutiny. I'm here to tell you, the truth does not fear the light of day. Don't be afraid. However, the trouble is many people are quicker to be offended than they are to honestly check out a truth or of something. We just wanna run around and be offended. Let's repent of that. Have you found yourself being too quick to choose an offense over a truth, or over really seeking the truth? To see things one way, your way before God, <coughs> giving God and others the benefit of the doubt, until you've actually talked to people, you've asked questions, you've gathered solid evidence, you determine the truth. Let's stop doing that as people. We've all run into that in our relationships with others, haven't we? <coughs> Who have signed and sealed and put the, the stamp on us without ever talking to us. Judge us, threw us in the cell, and walked away. And threw the key away without ever investigating anything honestly and missed a great relationship with us, right? And us with them. And the same is true with God. Because we're not willing to change, we're not willing to grow, we're not willing to accept our part of the reality, we just toss it all out. Wow, no, (coughs) don't do that. Have we been too quick to throw the baby out with the bathwater? You know, I did that once. I decided not to practice and put into, into practice a couple of spiritual gifts that the Lord gave me early on in my walk with him. And I did that because of the controversy around them and because their abuse and the abusive or immature practices of them seemed to be central to one of my friends almost losing their faith. <coughs> and so I went to the Lord in prayer and I said, hey, uh, I'm just gonna put this on the shelf. Uh, thank you for it, but." I'm just not going to do this anymore, and I'm still going to love you, I'm still going to serve you, but I'm just going to put that there. Well, the Lord was quick to get back to me on that, and I was glad, because I needed to hear it. And the Lord said to me, why are you rejecting and calling a spiritual gift that I've given you, actually two of them I've given you, not good? Why are you doing that? And why are you rejecting or putting on a shelf these avenues for knowing and experiencing me, my love and my power? <coughs> why are you doing that? At which I responded, because I got it. I said, you're right, Lord. I'm sorry. I won't do this. Don't let me, and, 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 and the Lord just said, don't let your offense and your fear of offending other people keep you. From my movement and my work, and I would say to you, don't let your fear of offending other people or your offenses keep you from revival. We can't. People are going to get offended at times. Things are going to (coughs) happen, but we have to be real about it. We got to keep seeking the truth. So people reject it because they they. They accepted, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm coughing and I, I forgot my way. And where am I at here? Because they chose offense over the truth, right? Here's the last thing, and man, this is going on. Finally, the clerk was a man of government. He comes on the scene, and he comes into this crowd. He's respected by them, he quiets them down, he gets their attention. But instead of this, because he was a man who had respect of the people, instead of inspiring them toward positive change, what did he do? He pacified them with this pragmatic message and reasons to maintain the status quo. That's what he did. He's a great politician. His message was, don't think too deep about this. Don't evaluate what you believe, don't change just keep doing what you know just keep doing what has worked for you and it will all be okay now get back to normal get back to your work go home and you won't get in trouble because that was the other thing trouble is going to come for you if you just don't take this message of status quo c.s lewis sent his book screw tape letters wormwood is the senior demon he's instructing Screw tape a novice demon in his training and he tells him this a moderate religion is as good for us as no religion at all and even more amusing I love that a Moderate religion is as good for us as no religion at all and even more amusing Because it doesn't work Keeps him from revival and then he said in another place Wormwood remarks, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. That's the safest road to hell. Keep them on it. Keep them on it. Wow, that's a scary thought, isn't it? We can become so practical, so cautious, so careful, so pragmatic in our life that we reject anything that disturbs or calls for real change, can't we? Oh my gosh, here's, don't let controversy cause you to reject revival. Revival changes things, revival disturbs things. Don't allow yourself to be lulled asleep. I want you to stand with me as we close. Anytime God moves in the midst of a people group, anytime God (coughs) begins to move in a person's life, there will be pushback. When I was first listening to the messages of salvation and of change, I had all sorts of voices in my head. It said, don't listen. You're going to lose control of your life. You're going to be weird if you surrender everything to Jesus and he's going to not make you normal. And you're not going to really be yourself. You're not going to have fun anymore. You're not going to be able to enjoy life anymore. You're going to have to limit yourself and live a very austere life. All those things were lies. He exaggerated all those things like he has in your life to keep you where you're at. Satan will not allow God to move. He's trying to fight it. He doesn't want you to progress forward, and he'll never allow it without a challenge in some ways. And Grant and I both have talked about this pattern in the book of Acts. God will begin to speak and lead. The disciples will go do great things. God's kingdom will break out in a mighty, miraculous way to deliver, to heal, to save people, and then there'll be pushback. They'll be pushed back through human beings, but human beings that are directed by the devil himself to keep the status quo, to challenge it. And that will happen. And sometimes it's very severe. (coughs) And then after it's over, the church and believers experience a time of peace until this cycle starts again. With God moving, and then the evil one pushing back, and then peace, and it keeps going. And that's the cycle. Bible commentator Arthur Pearson wrote this. This this chapter teaches all of us a permanent lesson. That when disciples have a true revival, society gets a revolution. Did you hear that? When disciples have a true revival, society gets a revolution. When an individual believer... When a a husband, a wife, a father, a mother gets revival, their family changes and gets a revolution. How much revolution have we seen because we came to Christ? How much revolution do we see in our marriages because we're in Christ? Do we need revival? When, When we get revival, our job site changes. When we get revival, our church changes. We all need it, don't we? Say amen to that. I need it. Amen. Because I want change and I want revolution to continue. I want growth to continue, healing to continue. And we all need it. He goes on, When the Spirit moves mighty upon children of God, we may look for other mighty movements among unbelievers. And we need not be surprised if the devil comes down having great wrath as though he knew his time was short because he's trying to take care of it revival is a spiritual awakening in the lives of christians it's a renewal of passion for god a devotion to him that in turn results in repentance and change in how a believer lives the power of their witness and the response of others to them so revival changes things and it disturbs things don't let that controversy keep you from it let's pray God, (laughs) we pray that you would do the work necessary to open our hearts to you again. That we would not fear giving you everything. The evil one has lied, but he's only lied to try to kill, steal, and destroy in our lives. Um, God, give give us the power, give us the inspiration to seek after you, to seek after the truth to answer our questions, to deal with our issues, to deal with the things that hold us up from surrender, to deal with the way we live that is wrong and do it with you because you bring revival into our lives. God, show us this morning how much we need you and give us the courage to hand you our heart and to open our heart completely to you. Come in and become the new Lord of our hearts. A new Lord of our lives, bring us into a, to a new place of freedom and growth and fill us with your spirit, a new place of fellowship. Lord, that we might be able to move on in greater power and maturity in Christ. God bless us and may we grow as a light even to the community that are a witness to them and our effect upon them will be even greater too because of your movement in us. Lord, make us believers that just keep moving Daily and weekly from revival to revival on a personal level and then on a church level and then beyond. God, we ask this in Jesus' name, and we all said together, Amen. Amen. Amen.